Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in our wonderful, pleasurable marriage. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Amber Wallen. I'm Ben. And that's Ben. Today is episode 14, and we will be discussing Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, directed by black man David E. Talbert. And what a spectacular. Ben, why don't you jump right into the background of this movie, because I am very, very excited to just talk all things Christmas black magic. Yeah, this is a Christmas musical, so like a lot of Christmas musicals, they're very happy. And I was curious, what other Christmas musicals have you seen? Jim Henson's A Christmas Carol, so the Muppets did A Christmas Carol. I'm pretty sure they were singing that. Um, What else? What else? Have you seen White Christmas? I have not. I know it's like... This was the perfect amount of musical, right? There were eight songs. That's perfect. Because some musicals have like 20 songs. Going back to A Christmas Carol, this is very much Christmas Carol-esque because it has this Victorian type of style and it shows how A Christmas Carol has infused itself throughout almost every single Christmas story ever. Before Jingle Jangle, obviously, what was your favorite Christmas movie? I like Klaus. Oh, Klaus was really good. That was the one we watched last year. I know it's back on Netflix right now, but Klaus was a good one. It will remain on Netflix because Netflix created it. Same thing with Jingle Jangle. It seems as if Netflix is going to continue to make these Christmas movies every year. Uh, Same thing with the Christmas Chronicles. Mm -hmm. Netflix is regularly producing Christmas stories during this time. It's interesting that Klaus is your favorite movie because that just came out. Like when I think about my favorite Christmas movie, like even though I loved Jingle Jangle... I wasn't, like, watching Jingle Jangle every year for Christmas, so How the Grinch Stole Christmas is always and forever going to be my favorite Christmas movie with the one with Jim Carrey. I'm also really attracted to Christmas horror, so Krampus. Oh, my gosh. Loved that. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I like my Christmas stories to have more blood, gore, Mm. horror. Yes. And Christmas just isn't the time to get that. It's all about peace on earth and families coming together. We watched a Christmas movie recently called This Christmas, and it was so terrible. (laughs) It had a lot of promise, though. A young Chris, a young Sea Breezy. It it started so well, and it was an all-star cast, but yeah, ultimately, the plot was just not, the the stakes weren't high enough. Yeah, and it... It ends. I think I left for the last five minutes because I, I knew how it was going to end. So I was not very excited going into this. However, the aesthetic of it being a Christmas carol aesthetic. This is in Jingle Jangle? This, not this Christmas. No. Okay, let's go back. Let's We're switching back gears to talking about the actual movie Jingle Jangle. So yes, tell me how you felt before. Well, I, every year for a while, I used to read A Christmas Carol. And I do appreciate the arc of a Scrooge-type character who ends up coming around at the end. And that comes over and over again in these movies. And I really appreciated the aesthetics of this 
movie, Jingle Jangle. There were bright, brilliant colors. They're wearing Victorian style clothing. It's also very, there's an element of steampunk as well, which you said. Yeah, I love that because I think that's what sets it apart from Tiny Tim and the, the, the steampunk elements. Like the costume design was great. The musical score was incredible. And we haven't gotten a black Christmas movie besides like, you know, this Christmas. It's also a English Victorian type of steampunk, and there are different kinds of steampunk. There's steampunk that uh, takes place in India and steampunk that takes place in China. And this story is the Victorian kind of steampunk, which is generally absolutely awful. The first steampunk novel that was written called The Difference Engine is terribly misogynistic. Uh, way too long and deals with almost the celebration of colonialism. So when I see steampunk, especially with the Victorian clothing, I'm assume that we're going to get one kind of story, but that did not happen. That did not happen with this. This wasn't colonialistic at all. Why don't you tell people what it was about? Jeronicus Jangle runs his toy store. He's this wonderful, kind inventor who invites people into his store. He gives things away, uh, excess toys. He runs it with his wife, Joanna, and his wonderful daughter, Jessica. However, things go completely to pieces when his apprentice, Gustafson, and one of his own creations, a toy named Don Juan, steal all his toy plans. So Jeronicus Jangle loses all his toy plans and he falls into some hard times. And then his wife dies, Joanna dies. And because his wife dies, he isolates himself from his daughter, Jessica, and he turns this beautiful magical toy shop into a pawn shop. And there's nothing more depressing than a pawn shop. <laughs> right. <laughs> However, things start to look up when his granddaughter, Journey, a.k.a. A Christmas Journey, Jingle Jingle, A Christmas Journey. Journey comes to visit right around Christmas time, hopefully to bring some Christmas cheer. And that's essentially the, the primary plot. Yeah, what were your first impressions of it? I did not know it was going to be that damn good. Again, I haven't felt this way, like I told you, for people who haven't watched this, the feeling that children, black children especially, will get watching this movie is the same feeling that we all got when Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella came out. Because... With Brandy. With Brandy. Yeah, everybody... That's the Roger and Hammerstein's version. Yeah, Brandy Cinderella is what, what it more commonly came to be known as. That, that movie was so unique in a, a myriad of ways because one, it had a black lead, a black like pop singing lead. It had Whitney Houston in it, but it also had this unapologetically colorblind element to it. So it's like Whoopi's the mom, Victor Gerber's the dad, and they have an Asian son and nobody's like asking questions about it. And, and it wasn't relevant. I'm asking questions now. I haven't seen Brandy Cinderella. So really? I'm asking questions. Oh, we, oh, God. I am devastated by you saying that. So, one, I'm devastated. Two, we're watching it tonight. Three, it's... I, I'm getting tangential here, but it's it's kind of like Shit's Creek. It's not trying to say that race doesn't exist. It's just like, this is how the world should be. This, 
Like we're all living together. We're all talented. We're all singing. We're all doing pirouettes. This is how life should be. Bernadette Peters should be singing all of the time. So this movie was like that. Even when one of uh, Journey's main songs is the square root of impossible. And I was just like, impossible. I was like, this is like Whitney is somewhere in heaven being like, this is us. This is what the legacy continues. So Jingle Jangle was amazing. Last thing I'm going to say before I ask you your impressions. I did not know how much I needed an Afro Beats snowball fight until Jingle Jangle was on my TV screen. Like who's thinking like, hmm, 2020 is super depressing. Coronavirus. We're all stuck inside. A snowball fight to Gawera Gawera in African music saved my whole soul. Like that was monumental. Remember after it happened, I just watched the snowball fight on YouTube like seven times in a row. So yeah, uh, it gave me complete life. We're watching Cinderella Brandy tonight. God, I'm ashamed of you. What did you think of Jingle Jangle? I don't like musicals. <laughs> like is not even the right word. I despise them. <laughs> okay. They're boring. They You're give not you alone. They give you a world that does not fucking exist. People don't go around singing. That's a lie. First of all, they don't go around singing in a normal, like, relationship, social building context. So if I had something important to say to you, I don't go and sing it to you. I sing it to you. Mm -mm. When we sit down and discuss family planning or discuss bills, you're not singing it to me. Right. First of all, I hate it. Okay. Second of all, it gives you a world. Most musicals tend to end happy. They show that if you work hard enough and you really listen to the person out, then there will be a restorative happening. That is not reality. And yet every, almost every single musical right? Something ends happy. Even uh, Rent, for example. We need hope, though. We need a little bit of hope. I think I'm okay with hope. I'm okay with hope. However, if every single musical is following this beat, then you're getting into this repetition compulsion, and you're not really saying something unique or powerful. So, I'll say all that. It sounds like you're arguing that the first black Christmas musicals should have been sad and depressing? No, not at all. I think as a genre... I, that's what I heard. As a genre, musicals... And it should start with black ones. No, I'm not saying that. As okay. a genre, musicals are lacking. The third part is I used to love musicals, and then I think I just... I grew up and I became jaded when I realized the world doesn't work in a musical kind of way. All that being said, I loved this movie. <laughs> I loved it so much. I loved the aesthetic of it. Uh, for how much I pretend not to like steampunk, I'm still sort of drawn to it because... You love steampunk. I know, but I, I feel like I shouldn't because it is based in colonialism. Mm. A lot of steampunk is. Okay. Not not some of... There are like Indian steampunk, Chinese steampunk yeah. that has something different to say or... But we're American. Almost everything we love is rooted in capitalism and colonialism. I'm thinking more of... Right. So Victorian steampunk particularly, I do find it cool. Everything from the big goggles to like the corsets. I really want a corset. So <laughs> I got Christmas. 
Christmas corset. However, this was amazing because there was this, these really beautiful bright colors. I also felt because this musical had a closed world, it created this alternate reality that it was okay to then create an alternate cause and effect, social cause and effect, that every time you reach out to provide a peace offering, that person will eventually accept it, which is sort of how this story ends. Not how real world works. You don't always accept peace offerings, right, Amber? You don't always accept my peace offerings. But I accept the majority of them. Right, but not always, and it seems in musicals that always works. Okay, first of all, that's not true of all musicals. Have you seen Les Mis? So do you, so what so what do you want? There are musicals that exist that completely cover like yeah, this is like the grit and grime of the French Revolution, and then there are musicals that are a little bit more upbeat. There are musicals where people die, like or there's That's that true. one scene in like Cats where she's just like singing to the moon about her loneliness. So there are musicals that exist with some real tropes, but like Christmas is kind of for kids. And little ones. So why can't kids be like, oh my gosh, there's a black Christmas musical and it makes me believe in, and have an imagination. Right. And that that is why I ended up liking this movie way more than yeah. I expected. Because yeah, I go in at this point. I go in with all these presuppositions, especially not knowing well, first of all, I didn't know this was a musical. Yeah, and as either. soon as they started singing, I was like Wait, what? But because it was this John Legend music <laughs> yes. mixed with little gospel, the, the Victorian... little stepping. Yes. That fusion of the styles got me hooked. I think both of us sat up. I remember... <laughs> I don't think neither of us knew it was a musical, so we sat up. And I ended up loving it. So yeah. that, that was my first impression, which was questioning the power of the musical... But uh, then by the end, me believing... You're such a cynic. In, ...in the musical, the power of the musical. Let's go through some of the characters and their dynamics. So we have our inventor, Geronicus, who, as a young Geronicus, is played by uh, Justin Cornwell, who is so dynamic and so wonderful. I haven't seen him before. I'm sure he's a big name in Broadway, but I... No, he's not. He played in Training Day, the TV series. Really? Yeah, and he was on Shakespeare Chicago for five years. Oh my gosh. That, that was his thing. Wow. Yeah, he was really great in the role. He was amazing. And I mean, everybody was phenomenal. Forrest Whitaker. I was like, Forrest, is that you singing? Yes! Right. And then, so, Geronic young Geronicus is uh, played by Justin Cornwell, and then old Geronicus is played by Forrest Whitaker. And that translation of young Geronicus having his plans, his toy plans stolen, to losing his wife, turning into old, grumpy Forrest no. Whitaker. So happy, Ben. Right. So that that happy, touched like that touched my buttons because I felt that, you know, was real. Mm-hmm. However, I knew that things were gonna be alright. So that there we have Geronicus. Then we have Gustafson, played by the wonderful Keegan Michael Key. What did you think about him? I mean, I hate him, obviously. Why? Keegan Michael Key did a great job in the role. Because you don't steal people's things that are letting you stay in their home. But he does have a pretty strong motivation. 
So you get the impression that Geronicus is not always the kindest to... That's where I disagree with you. Because you were like, well, he just wanted... He's an inventor and he wanted to seek his help and his counsel. But it's like, I am mentoring you. You're staying in my home. I also have a wife and a child. And I'm still prioritizing you. Because remember, spoiler alert, the big twist at the end is that the night that Geronicus got the major piece to the toy that he was creating, he created a piece for Gustafson's toy to work as well. I forgot. It's about like, that. what do you want me to do? So Gustafson is a struggle is the struggling intern. Apprentice. Is the struggling apprentice. Mm-hmm. And he turns into the villainous sort of twirly mustache. I think he even has a twirly mustache. Diabolical. Mm-hmm. He has a, yeah, the, the handlebar. And then there is Don Juan, played by Ricky Martin, who's the little toy. Yes, Ricky Martin. Who is ensouled by Forrest Whitaker by some sort of magical thing. And I want to actually talk about ensoulment. Yeah, what is that? Ensoulment is this idea in Christian theology, and actually all theology, that believes in souls, where the physical body receives the soul either from God, from the universe, from whatever. And there are different times in which this can occur. And it does it occur at the moment of conception? Does it occur when a baby takes its first, first breath? Does it occur a few months afterwards? And so humans have chosen different times in which a human body is in soul to fit their political beliefs. And so I I like how this story shows that humans have this ability to ensoul toys and give them power, them uh, their own. So I think that was very fascinating, especially considering the AI right now, where we're actually giving souls to certain kinds of intelligence by coding them. And that's something that this story, I thought, did really well. Uh, so you mean there were parts of the musical that were similar to real life? Yes, for oh, sure. That's interesting, because I, I remember you saying that that's why you don't like musicals, but interesting. Keep going. Yeah, that that was a theme where they talk about what it means to be an inventor, because I think in our world, especially around Christmas time, we're so concerned especially as children, so concerned with getting the new thing, where in this world, it's about creating wonder. It's not about collecting all the inventions. It's about creating something that connects with a child, a toy that connects. And actually the process of creating is art. Let's also talk about some of our favorite relationships. So we have a wonderful character, Miss Johnston, who you love. Mm-hmm. She's probably my favorite character, the Why? postal worker. She's a widow. She's a postal woman. She's in love with Geronicus Jangle, who she calls Jerry. And she's just like singing and upbeat and very thirsty for Geronicus and not giving up. And so she, at the end of the movie, gets like a kiss on the cheek and is just like so satisfied with that. She just brought a lot of life into her character and like constantly pushing Geronicus to improve himself. She she was a delight. She's also fi- followed around by three background dancers. Yeah, the singers. Mm-hmm. That part of the movie made me realize that 
this movie is a floor to high ceiling kind of movie. So it's both for children who are on the floor and then adults who are on the ceiling. So it connects in that way. And throughout their relationship between old Jeronicus Forrest Whitaker and Miss Johnston, played by Lisa Davina Phillip, is very mature and there's this sexual tension that mm-hmm. the, the adults would pick up on. Also, as... Miss Johnston is walking around singing. Forrest Whitaker is making these comments, breaking the fourth wall, essentially, saying things like, oh, there's background dancers? Oh, they sing too? And so Mm -hmm. a child would probably not pick up on that breaking of the fourth wall, but adults would. So I felt like that relationship was for the adults, which was super, super fantastic. And then we also have Edison Latimer, which is... This young little boy who is the new apprentice. He's clumsy and precious. Edison. I loved Edison's character as well. He's like very funny, but funny to laugh at, not with. And he wants to be an inventor really badly. Yes, like you said, he's like the new Gustafson without the thief parts. Yeah, he. Edison has more of a conscience. And then finally, the, the main character of the entire film is Journey. Journey Jangle. Journey Jangle is Jeronicus's granddaughter, and she is a brilliant mathematician. And when we're first introduced to her, she is singing about how she prefers to be alone, prefers to measure and create and not go outside, and how that sometimes is a lonely experience. So she is essentially a genius, Mm -hmm. and throughout... Uh, the entire movie journey does mathematics in her head and we get to see the mathematics. They have this cinematography element where there are swirling blue lights and it's absolutely just wonderful. What do you think about journey? I mean, she's so talented. She's a great dancer, great actor, phenomenal singer. And I just cried looking at journey because so when her hair is amazing, I remember when she first hit the screen, you were like, look at this little Janelle Monet. She's so cute. She's so Afrofuturistic with her hair, but steampunk with her clothes. And I'm so happy that kids today have a journey jangle because that was our, like I said, our Cinderella brandy. And I just remember how pivotal that role was for me as a young black child. So to see Journey and Edison and these kids in the snowball fight, dancing and singing and inventing, they're inventing. Like, I mean, Cinderella was still, you know, sort of a damsel in distress, couldn't really get out of her situation without the help of the fairy godmother. So to see Journey get out of her own situations because she had like hope and intellect was a huge shift in what the in the heroes that we had as kids. So I really loved Journey as the lead and Edison almost as her apprentice. Her mother is Jessica, who's played by Anika Noni Rose, who mm-hmm. you told me played in The Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Which She's I, Princess Tiana. Which reminded me, and when that first came out, that was celebrated as... The Black Princess, but you are yeah. anti that movie because half the movie, she's a frog. And and we've done this before. We as in like Disney and Pixar. It, it doesn't feel the same when there are so many Disney princesses and their whole story is 
infused with their cultural backgrounds and things like that which some parts of the princess and the frog was because it, she was like in the bayou and so we get voodoo and some of that which is villainous the voodoo is evil right that story, which is which... yes which is crappy you know i i cannot when people are comparing like what like mulan got a story moana got a story and princess tiana got a story it's like she was a frog she was jumping from lily pad to lily pad you made a black person an animal no. So you're going to have to go back and you mean do a black it again. person an amphibian. An amphibian or sometimes a reptile. Isn't a frog a toad? I don't know. We shouldn't even be discussing it because I, th- I think another Disney movie just came under fire for that like soul or something. It, like a person was turned into a pigeon and that was the whole thing. I don't know. I'm sick of it. Either way, Anika Rose is a, f- a legend. She's in Dreamgirls as well amazing singer amazing performer so i'm so glad that we because i was a little bit worried i was when i saw her at first i was like oh my god we better get a song like you can't show this woman and not give us a song and she did the i could fix it again song (laughs) gotta get it to work again oh oh it was so chilling like chills throughout that entire song her and Forrest Whitaker, uh, her father, sort of come together. But as they're coming together towards the end of the movie, they sing this beautiful duet, which I didn't know Forrest Whitaker sings. So let's t- go into some mm-hmm. of the songs because Forrest Whitaker's uh, solo is the most haunting song. It, I felt it was really emotional. I was very touched because it felt for me very reflective of. Uh, widowers who who uh, whose partners pass you know 20 years before they do and i know my grandfather his wife passed maybe about 15 16 years before he did and so that's 15 by yourself after being with someone for so long and so that that song was just incredibly powerful mm-hmm. what, what was the name of that song again over and over over and over oh, mm-hmm. so good Let's go into themes. One of my favorite themes, as was sort of mentioned, was this fusion of math where you see Journey sort of doing math in the air, and but it's also fused with magic as well because there are these like magical elements. And that made me think of a, a science fiction writer, Nisi Shaw, who writes that the distinction between fantasy and science are not very clear, especially with black science fiction writers for a couple of reasons. One, like access to scientific knowledge from SF often like have been denied from people of color. And so because of that denial, what you'll see is this fusion of science and fantasy. Jingle Jangle is a fusion of both fantasy and science fiction, which is rather unique and rejected oftentimes by white science fiction normative standards. However, lots of black science fiction writers often fuse those two imaginative genres and there's a there's a lot of reasons for that but part of the reason for that is that the classification of like what is and not scientific knowledge hasn't always been 
allowed for black writers. You're not shared scientific knowledge and you're not shared this distinction and you're not allowed to make that distinction. Then what do you do? You fuse them, you blend them together and you create this entirely new kind of genre. And all the black science fiction writers today who are doing the most interesting things in the genre are doing that. N.K. Jemisin, if you read her Broken Earth trilogy, it's this fusion of science fiction and fantasy. There's this total blurring of the lines, and that is a unique element of black fantasy and black science fiction. There, you can't, you know, separate them. They're they're so fused together, and I, I love that. I love 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 that element. And you see it, you visually see it when you say the square root of impossible, right? You're using this mathematical language of square root and impossible numbers, and yet you get this new kind of magic. I love it. It's so cool. I, I really enjoyed that as well. Even just like the snowball fight, right? Not only did the snowball fight have a great musical score underneath it, but it had like some mathematical elements to it. Yeah, for, uh, Geronicus is writing out, there's like parabolas of happiness. So they show like a parabola, but it has to do with the result of happiness. Or uh, they'll say things like, if you take the derivative of... Of a spectacular. Of a spectacular, right? And so derivative is a calculus scientific term, but you combined it with the magical language. And that is something that I think white science fiction writers are not compelled to do because they've been shown and given this distinct education of the distinction between fantasy, science fiction. But because that's that type of education has been denied, you know, black folk in America, then what do you do? You fuse it. And that's what you sort of get with Jingle Jangle. You get results of this. Science fiction as a genre for me and reasons why I've probably stayed away prior to us being together. It operates under that assumption that there's like one truth when there are multiple truths. I remember watching Star Trek with you one time and I was like, what are they talking about? You're like, oh, it's just space babble. And I oh, remember- Oh, techno, techno babble. Techno babble. And I was like, but they're trying so hard to be like so accurate with this space babble that they're actually like Te- losing techno, techno, techno babble. Yeah. You're doing it now. It's like there there can be no <laughs> other name or word for it. I actually it. like space babble. We should start saying space same, babble. But it's the same thing. The, the techno babble, but you need both sometimes, right? It's like when they bring in a real linguist to help form the language in Lord of the Rings and in Game of Thrones and things like that. As an audience member, I'm like, I genuinely don't understand what you're talking about. And now I'm checked out because you needed this to be so accurate to real which is what you like about it like we'll watch space movies and you'll be like this is so authentic to what it would be like to step onto mars and i'm like yeah but is it entertaining oh the expanse yes is it entertaining and informative or is it just trying to see like look how much research we did it's when we watched freaking bohemian rhapsody it's like but we did shot for shot freddie mercury's like aids concert it's like yeah but was it entertaining? Was it magical and true to who Freddie Mercury was? No, it was just let's replicate the actual concert so that people won't clock us for being inauthentic. Whereas Rocket Man was like, this is Elton John's story. Let's make it magical and fantastical and have elements and infusions. And that is what I feel like black stories do a lot of the time. It's like I, we also want to entertain and make it accurate to math, but 
magical and exciting and let kids know that it's okay to have an imagination and it's okay to change and veer from the status quo. Which is why Star Trek just never like hit it for me because it was trying always to be like, this is exactly how a spaceship would run. And this exact is exactly how people would talk on what is it, Enterprise or whatever. If you're going to be that exact with things, that means my black ass wouldn't be up there. Star Trek doesn't try to be super scientific. I think other shows like The Expanse does. They try to be very scientific. However, I think what you might be picking up on is that you don't like not knowing something in a science fiction show because science fiction often does use its own techno babble even uh steampunk uses its own kind of language and you have to read maybe two three books to understand that repetitive language because they're inventing their own language and i think oftentimes what happens with like marginalized groups or oppressed groups is that if they don't know something that doesn't mean they have an ability to learn. It means that they are fenced out of something. So if you don't know something, you're pushed away. Where if I don't know something, I feel invited in to then go gain that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Where if you don't know something, you feel isolated and you are actually isolated because you don't know something. Mm -hmm. Where I feel very free to be like, oh, I don't know that. Tell me. Like, let me make this a, an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. Whereas I look at something and be like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, this isn't for me. Right. Because you probably, there's this element of trauma where you've been pushed away because you don't know something. Mm -hmm. Where I feel inclined to reach out to things that I don't know because I feel as if the whole world is mine. Yep. However, because of that trauma, I think what happens is that going back to this fusion of genres of science fiction and fantasy because of this trauma of being isolated, then you're like, okay, well, I'll just pick and choose and create this new genre. And there's this term talking, you brought up Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery season three, they bring up this term called post-traumatic growth. And mm -hmm. the understanding of post-traumatic growth is that there's positive psychological change that could occur after a result of trauma, mm. right? And yeah, welcome to like the black experience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this, this actually goes into that, right? You have Jeronicus Jangle who has the trauma of losing his, his wife, isolating his daughter, losing his apprentice and his apprentice stealing all his plans. But then at, by the end, due to that trauma, he finds reconciliation with Jessica they have this beautiful duet that you mentioned, and he actually puts together a new invention that mm -hmm. Jessica had helped create, and he develops a, a new powerful relationship with Journey, and he gets a new kind of love with Miss Johnston. So it sort of has this yeah. this Damn, Job. Lucked out. It sort of has this Job story, like in the mm -hmm. in the Bible, where yep. the Book of Job, Job loses everything, and then at the end, it's like gets it back. He gets fold. it all back, right? Which, there are elements, like, problems with that story. But that would summarize, like, post-traumatic uh, growth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I think that this sort of gets into that a little bit. And that, that's a big theme through this as well. I love when film recognize that it's a film. 
And what I mean by that is that you are not restricted as a filmmaker to just live action. So there's this beautiful transitions throughout the movie where you have these wood animations that show elements of the story mm-hmm. uh, and specifically with transitions. And one, it, it gives not only money to actors and the people on set, but also gives money to animators as well. And so it opens up this whole field. And that's another fusion of genres where you're like, I'm not limited to just live action. I'm going to put this really bizarre, cool wood animation with a live action. And I think that paired quite nicely with the fact that Geronicus was a toy maker. And so those wood animations were toy-like and had little gears and moved like little tinker toys. So it just it just plucked on your heartstrings in the best way when you saw those transitions. And it moved the story along without wasting audience time. Or I remember last night we were watching This Christmas. You're like, how is this two hours? They Some parts of this couldn't be cut, which I totally agree with you on that. But Jingle Jangle is about two hours as well. And I think, and it doesn't feel like two hours because their transitions were so tight. And trying to think back to a point where I was like, this part was unnecessary. Like nothing in the movie was unnecessary. It was like a story within a story which we didn't quite talk about, but it's it's Journey as a grandmother telling the story to her grandkids. And that flowed nicely, and the wooden transitions flowed nicely. So it was a great use of time, and I love the, the magical animation part as well. It's very traumatic when you have a parent die in a story. And a lot of Disney movies don't always recognize that trauma. And... I remember I had a friend who like lost their mother and they would share stories about movies that they would watch as a child and them picking up on all the death of parents and how that was traumatizing watching those films. But Disney makers are not thinking about that. And so there is a parent who does who does passes away, but it's through the wood transition. So there's this voiceover as they're showing these transitions. And so every character has their own wooden figure. So for Forrest Whitaker is sort of mirrored in this wood animation. And so sort of the that traumatic element is done through the wood animation, which mm. felt for me maybe lessen some of those triggers if a child lost a parent. And I think we need to start really thinking as a society that when we make a movie for children, we have to consider those kinds of things. It it, it would be surprising how many parents die in Disney movies. For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm now curious why Joanna Jangle had to die. <laughs> I, like, it's like when it rains, it pours. So... It's like he couldn't have just lost everything that he had and then eventually she divorced him. Like, no, she had to die. Interesting. That's an excellent segue into the size. Let's get into the size with Jingle Jangle. It was phenomenal, but, you know, we critique everything that we love. So Don Juan Doll is the invention of... Geronicus Jangle at the beginning of the movie. And this is going to be the toy that changes the world. And he insoles the toy with some sort of like magic that is never explained. So that was like a minor plot device that annoyed me. But the, the bigger part was that his toy is like this 
Spanish matador that is a complete stereotype. Yeah. And... It's like, I can see a child being like, great, the Latino community ruins everything. Yeah. Like, no, no that, that's not I, the point. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it would go that far, but it just, yeah. it seemed weird that all the characters in this story were black and like the toy that they would make is a Spanish matador. Yeah. It just didn't yeah, that seem was, to fit. Right. <laughs> like a toy soldier that I, I don't know playing on some Christmassy things or like the Nutcracker gone but then that's gone. militaristic and we want to get away from like celebrating instruments of war maybe we should think about what toy would have been made that went a little haywire it could have been any occupation it could have not been a human it could have been something else like a well, boat but no but they made buddy in the end so oh yeah you already they, made a robot they did make a robot at the end who's like the good toy but but what really got me the worst part was at the end of the the movie don juan is euthanized he is euthanized and then reprogrammed yeah that really hurt your feelings it did and i hate this idea that when we create some humans when they create some sort of artificial intelligence in this story don juan is an artificial intelligence he's created and if that artificial intelligence doesn't run the way we expect we just shut it down it makes me think of facebook a couple years ago made these bots these like chatter bots where you ask questions to and these two like bots started communicating with each other in a language that the programmers didn't understand and so bob and alice are communicating they understand each other and actually get a result these two robots these two robots bots but because the programmers could not understand their language they euthanize the the AI. They shut down the AI because the AI is not responding in the way that they expected. And that sort of terrifies me because further down the road, if we just shut down programs, intelligent programs that don't fit our understanding. Yeah. But there's Is that murder? But there's possible danger in recognizing I invented something like, do you feel the same way about when we recall products that have been created that ultimately are unsafe for the public? Like, when you recall something, aren't you taking it back and reprogramming it? And Well, when you recall an intelligence, essentially, Jingle Jangle, there's an element of the Frankenstein story. He creates this character who turns out to be a monster, doesn't fit his understanding, Jarnicus Jangle, mm-hmm. creates the monster, Jarnicus Jangle is, the, is Frankenstein, And Don Juan is Frankenstein's monster. And at the end, Frankenstein in that story goes and kills the monster or or fights off the monster. And that for me is just a a dangerous road. And because Jingle Jangle just accepts the fact that, oh, it's okay to shut down an intelligence and reprogram it. Would you have felt better if he took Don Juan and added another ingredient that was a bit more kind? Because Don Juan... Loki ruined this man's life. <laughs> like he encouraged Don Juan, Gustafson to steal his plans. But Don Juan wanted which to is be the one reason of a why kind. He almost lost his. Sorry, he wanted to. Don Juan wanted to be one of a kind, which right. was his motivation right. for stealing the plans because he didn't want you know a thousand Don Juans all him. And how human is that? How human is that for us to want our individuality and want our autonomy? Yes, but. When some humans are, like, complete narcissists, should they go unchecked? Because it's like, well, 
that person is not acting the way I want them to, so just let them go kill lots of people. It's like, well, that can't work either. Yeah, but Don, Don Juan wasn't violent. He was just a thief. But his theft resulted in years of turmoil for the Jangle family. But also, once Jangle got his specific part that he needed for Don Juan, he starts giving away all his toys. He's like, T, you can take everything. Because yeah, she was excited. I mean, you know, it's like when you get a paycheck and you're like, all right, y'all drinks on me. Yeah, that's foolishness. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with Don Juan. You're, I mean, you're, you're trying to like deflect. I just, I think we, we. I see what you're saying. I don't think he should have just been shut off. But I think he says that he's going to reprogram, which is therapy and providing counseling a, a form of reprogramming <laughs> it is, yeah. a, is a legitimate yeah. question, right? How do you think that should have gone then? You think he should have just kept evil Don Juan and just threw him in the back of the shop? I think you create a sanctuary kind of model. So a sanctuary model is this idea that you allow humans to be as human with all their faults as possible, but without harming others. So Don Juan wants to be an individual. So you allow him to be an individual. So you make an agreement with Don Juan saying, I will not mass produce the Don Juan doll. Mm. And they, they find that reconciliation. Then why did Gustafson continue creating other toys with Don Juan, like coercing him to do that? Yeah, that's another sigh, is that Gustafson was so willing to betray Jeronicus Jangle, (laughs) and he's convinced almost immediately by Don Juan, even though Gustafson's first interaction with Don Juan is Don Juan insulting Gustafson, tells him that he stinks and that he's a terrible inventor. Mm. And then Gustafson allows himself to be coerced into stealing the book. It, yeah. th- that was a major plot hole. Maybe you're victim blaming because Don Juan is, is the perpetrator. Is manipulative yeah, and abusive. For sure. And Gustafson ends up getting arrested by the police, which is yeah. also doesn't seem fair because he was the one manipulated. <laughs> well, I, I hear you. So, so in your perfect world, Don Juan would have been arrested and treat it like a human, and Gustafson would have found humility and been Geronicus's apprentice again. Right. I think, and they tease that a little bit, mm. where um, Geronicus Jangle goes up to Gustafson and says, I would have showed you everything if you just listened and yep. waited. And sort of at the end of the film, like, everything goes But Don happy. Juan needed some consequences. He did. Sure, you consequences. turning him off was not. No, yeah. that's not the appropriate response. And that's what hey. humans do. Like, yeah. we we turn off humans if that human yeah. is a mass murderer and doesn't fit our standard. And should we be killing mass murderers? I don't think so. I think there are, way, there are sanctuary models, which is you can still let a mass murderer be a mass murderer without killing people. And that requires a certain level of creativity, whether it's creating a virtual world. I mean, these are things that the science fiction community like deeply thinks about. For right? sure. That's a whole long uh, conversation. The other thing that I loved this movie, but finally the last thing is that Geronicus was such an asshole to Journey when yeah. Journey first meets uh, Geronicus. And I, I don't know if that was necessarily a sigh because... 
Forrest Whitaker just played the grumpy old jaded man so so, so well. well. Quite a curmudgeon. And and I think his tr- his translation or his growth is believable due to Journey's support. Journey very Journey's much so precious. Is so too. awesome. She Journey can... is amazing. I think that was strong. However, it made me feel more sympathetic for Gustafson because the way Geronicus is acting as an older man, even though he's jaded and he's about to lose his toy store, all this stuff. Also, he abandons his daughter, Jessica. And I don't think that kind of person immediately switches to that kind of person. Yeah. I think there was an element of assholeness that we see before Geronicus loses everything. And that assholeness is directed toward Gustafson because Geronicus goes out and celebrates with his family and doesn't help Gustafson when Gustafson is asking for help and doesn't invite him out to, for dinner as well. So I think... He brings him dinner upstairs. He does. He does like, bring him dinner upstairs. My God. Like, how much is Geronicus supposed to do for Gustafson? I don't know. I, well, that's sort of the problem is that apprenticeships during this time of Victorian England, which is the steampunk, they even call him an apprentice, were, were very abusive and very violent. And like... Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the apprentice had no But he wasn't autonomy. doing him like Bob Cratchit, Scrooge. No, he, he was wasn't. just like, can I just have two seconds to dine with my family? I'm going to bring you a plate up here in a minute. I wish they I wish they showed a little bit more of that. So then Gustafson would have had more of a motivation to betray Geronicus. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. We, Gustafson turned so quickly and it, it felt very sharp. If Geronicus was more of like... A cocky but kind inventor, which they tease that a little bit. I think they could have done more of that because Gustafson doesn't have the skills that Jeronicus has. And Jeronicus is a fucking genius. Yeah, he has, he has like a natural pile. ability. Yeah, he has a pile of inventions. He's a brilliant mathematician. And those kinds of people tend to be a little bit prideful, and oh, yeah. w- which they have a right to be because they're really good. But it's still makes them sort of an asshole. And I, I wish they did a little bit more of that. But I think overall, like... Overall? I love woo, this. It, 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 this conversation got real crazy for a second, but... I loved it. It's it very it's very rewatchable. The songs are so good. John Legend was, I think, one of the producers. Did, mm-hmm. some, of the, did some of the songs as Usher's well. Usher's on the track. Oh. Also, the choreography was very black and beautiful and Alvin Ailey and... I mean, this sounds like Step a warp-up. Africa. It, this oh, is our warp-up. Yes. This is a great warp-up. This is a great warp-up. In conclusion, I will be showing this to my child in the future. For sure. Our child. Okay. You know. And showing it to nieces and nephews and uh, friends for years to come. It it is an instant classic. It is. It should be required viewing. Mm. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci next week for episode 15. Y'all, 15 weeks and I have not killed Ben. Who knew? We'll be reading The Deep by Rivers Salabin. So pick up this novella. It's only 176 pages and we'll see y'all next week for the discussion. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.